Welcome to the Earwig Review, episode 14. Starting today off, well, we were at the grocery store in the morning, and we've noticed there's some sales. There's a small grocery store not too far from the house, uh, 15 minutes. And on Sunday mornings, we've noticed a pattern. They have these dips, guacamole, kind of a hummus layered dip, a salsa, and they go on a crazy sale, like half price. And these dips are awesome. And we got a bunch of those and a tray of balinces also on a great sale. So the morning started off uh, without a hitch, if that's the term. It It went off without a hitch. What hitch? without one there was no hitch it was a great morning we went and ate and then it was time for lunch i had a i would i was going to record the show but instead i met an old friend for lunch we went to a&w burger onion rings root beer they even, uh, this one, lo- not all locations seem to do it anymore, but this one location, they tend to give the the frosted glass mug. Probably stayed for about two hours talking and eating our food and whatever. They had a coffee as well, and I was very close to getting a coffee I just it was only it's a dollar you know all these places McDonald's has it too it's the new it's this dollar dollar coffee and I it's hard to resist in any case when I see that going on but I did and now that I'm sitting here I wish I had it I wish I'd gone for it um, but I knew it was a bad idea because I've already eaten all these blintzes, the burger, the onion rings, the soda, and I, and tonight we got a salmon marinating as well. So all this to say, it's today's been going well. When you get to eat good food in life, food that you're happy with, I don't know if there's anything better I that's the pinnacle I'm sorry to say if you thought there was something else out into the world that was going to beat that but it's kind of it and that's uh, nothing to scoff out scoff nothing to scoff at right nothing to scoff at who's scoffing anyway so 
anxious about the reading at the end of today's episode. We'll do our posts, as usual. Uh, I'm sure lots of great stuff there. And then I'm going to read for the first time the first, I believe, 10 slash 3,000 words of a story I've been working on for a little while. Not, I don't, I'd have to look off and on, not forever. A story called The Blue Nile. And um, definitely uh, excited but anxious to to read that see how it feels um i think one you know one train of thought i've been following for a bit this idea that you know if you can see it on tv if you can see it in a movie you have to beat that in a book if you could if they could make it on screen then yes sure you could write it in a book that's fine but i think you got to take advantage of the medium of writing having someone's imagination only not having to worry about the production and what they can and can't pull off and what you know all the way they'll kind of have to mitigate the ideas and translate them to fit the screen and uh there's a lot of freedom there i think i think for a while i had the kind of almost the opposite mindset from working on all these sets and just getting into that world so much that i was thinking i had the the idea that somehow it would be best to write things that could be very easily clearly translated to the screen to to sell and you know make that way but as of late it seems like the I've had the opposite kind of approach and really what can you not get away with on TV? What would be too far out, too abstract, too controversial, too weird, too upsetting, too annoying? It's all it's all stuff that only books can do, only writing can do. And uh, I think that's what I'm looking for when I'm reading. I realize it or not because reading takes a different kind of effort and it needs if you could just watch the story unfold generally people are going to do that you know what I'm talking about so I think that train of thought was a bit almost uh, exacerbated by I read a book that I think came out very recently about HBO it's called it's not TV uh, I think there's a the longer title but it's it's not TV it's a book about the history of HBO and just kind of burn through it a really fun quick read I, I really enjoyed it 
And one of the big kind of mantras of HBO was if you could see it on your average network, then they weren't going to do it. They had to be uh, making things that were, that transcended that, right? And that's all fine and dandy. But what can you do with a book that they couldn't even do on any network for for all these different kinds of reasons. Maybe it's too controversial. Maybe it's too abstract. Maybe it's too weird. You know, all of these these things. I'm I'm repeating the list again. And um, that's interesting, you know. And going too internal, as well. How far can you go into someone's thoughts uh, in a way that you just can't in uh, on the screen? So. stuff to think about exciting uh exciting whatever testing out a new theme song off the top there um pretty epic um too epic kind of sounds a bit broken and that's why i like it that's why it sounds good um so maybe i'll keep tweaking the uh that intro there but thought I'd give it a shot on episode 14 so I got some uh, no I'm not gonna get into it I'm not even gonna go there let's get right into the posts I don't want to I don't want to go down these technical rabbit holes I want to talk about a post from November 20th. Oh. Here's a thing. This was... Here's why this week is... Uh, different than the other... Any other week. This week... I... Surpassed the 700 post mark. So right now we're at 703... That was on that was Friday's post was seven hundred and three. But I think Wednesday's post, if my math isn't wrong, was the seven hundredth seven hundredth post. I think that's awesome. If that's something to celebrate, that's a lot of fucking posts. <laughs> that's seven hundred. I couldn't edit that if I sh- I wouldn't even try. Sometimes I have the thought you know, I got so many of these things, should I start collecting them into a document and maybe, you know, putting them into their own PDF? But it's just too big. It's too sprawling and it just keeps going. And I don't want to, I don't want to edit them because I think that it would ruin the, it would disrupt, I, would, I don't know if it would ruin, but it would disrupt the, the spirit of them. Um, but anyway... Good, good pat on the back there. And just keep it going. You know, it's, uh, talk about building habits and just getting, just doing shit and not overthinking it. Just like, you know, a couple of years ago having um, the 
noticing a, a, an opportunity, I suppose, in my own writing process where things were too precious and I just was um, um, spending too much time only on narratives and I kind of missed the, the old days of just scribbling out weird ideas and not really knowing what to do with them. So I kind of put it away because it seemed uh, so pointless. And I stopped doing it for a long time. I didn't know where to put them, didn't know what to do. It seemed kind of, I had like, oh, I was kind of ashamed that, that I would basically be writing poetry all the time. Such a fucking tacky thing to do, but I just kept doing it. Um, so whatever. And now, next thing you know, I've got 703 of these motherfuckers and and uh going to a thousand see it a thousand and uh about a year from now one a day minus saturdays november 20th the frog will return i read i was reading online about a frog that freezes for the winter i can imagine it in a way being that frog it must be sad doing whatever it is you are doing and freezing like that. Thinking about all the good things you got to experience in your life, the leaves and the mud and the sun, the river and the ripples in the water. It wasn't long ago that it all began and now is over. Even the snowflakes and the ice, you appreciated them somehow, despite everything. They had a way of slowing down time and they were there with you during your time on earth. All of the hope and every good meal, it all came together in that moment. And now you, the frog, are freezing to death. The frog became ice and it is beneath the snow somewhere until one day it will become warm and the frog will return again. Um, you know, constant, uh, almost the magic trick of this show sometimes is where I start yammering on about whatever I yammer on about at the beginning of the show. And then the, and then the way that these posts start to kind of, um, revisit those, those kind of themes. And there was one line in here where it goes, uh, I'm just looking for it. Oh, it says all of the hope and every good meal. Let me turn on this mic. I can see him clipping a bit. All of the hope and every good meal, it all came together in that moment. And for whatever it's worth, I just remember thinking about the appreciation of food today, already going on about that. And I suppose thinking about trying to you know, in this, in this way of imagining what it would be like to freeze to death as this frog and thinking about, you know, his whole life and all the food that he ate would be one of these kind of last memories, um, you know, same, uh, it's a point of view. 
was reading online about a frog that freezes for the winter. I can imagine it in a way being that frog. It must be sad doing whatever it is you were doing and freezing like that. Thinking about all the good things you got to experience in your life. The leaves and the mud and the sun, the river and the ripples in the water. It wasn't long ago that it all began. Now it is over. Even the snowflakes and the ice, you appreciated them somehow. Despite everything, they had a way of slowing down time. And they were there with you during your time on earth. All of the hope and every good meal, it all came together in that moment. And now you, the frog, are freezing to death. The frog became ice, and it is beneath the snow somewhere. Until one day, it will become warm, and the frog will return again. It's, uh, you know, a cute story, but a little a little sad and somber. I think I like it. Playing around with the point of view a bit where it's like second person, you're the frog, and then going to third person. Um, so a bit of bumping around there, but I don't think it is an issue. Um, and I think, you know, one of these posts where starting off and, and I think... I can remember sitting and writing it and not having any fucking idea what I want to write about and feeling the worst thing is when you kind of sit down to write and you feel uh, fulfilled <laughs> in, uh, in your life or in your progress. And it doesn't happen, doesn't seem to happen very often. But when it does, it's kind of like, you know, what's, this is weird, and where's my motivation? And kind of finding a way in there, just this random thing about this frog, and then getting into almost this imagining death, whatever, getting super into it. So it's fun. Um, and I, I think there's writing and you're always trying to it's almost like the drug of it where you're pushing and pushing and trying to find some satisfaction and find some resolution and something if you just get to the end of this project or figure out how to write this page properly then you then it just it seems like you'll feel better and then you'll calm down and you'll have done it and then you'll like okay i can rest now never really comes and the times where you're feeling that as i was just explaining you then feel like this sucks now i can't write so the perpetual state of just kind of you know stress and agitation and imperfection um I don't know if it's possible to feel, to get comfortable with it ever in in a way that I can really understand, but maybe over the years it kind of sort of settles, but probably not. It probably gets worse in certain ways. I don't know. I'll find out one day. Town Square Quail. Oh God, this one. <laughs> Okay. Town Square Quail. The quail swooped in and ate her husband's penis. She was shocked. 
She should. She stood there, her mouth gape. They were on their honeymoon. She only settled down with him so that she could have kids before it was too late. And now, it was all for nothing. She watched the quail fly off and disappear into the clouds. Blood spurt into her periphery, but still she stared blankly. He screamed and vomited on himself and ran into the water. She walked away from the beach, past the resort and into the town. She stood in the town square and was surrounded by quail. She didn't know where she was. She didn't know why there were so many quail. She didn't know why they were perched like pigeons shitting all over the town square. She stood beneath them, staring upward, and a memory occurred to her. In the fourth grade, she knocked over a thing of whiteout, and it stained her desk for the rest of the year. It seemed that life had a way of repeating itself. It seemed that to her, life was merely a hellish vortex, and that her only purpose was to suffer. <laughs> oh, that's nice and stupid. Quail swooped in and ate her husband's penis. She was shocked. She stood there, her mouth agape. They were on their honeymoon. She only settled down with him so that she could have kids before it was too late. And now, it was all for nothing. She watched the quail fly off and disappear into the clouds. Blood spurt into her periphery, but still she stared blankly. He screamed and vomited on himself and ran into the water. She walked away from the beach, past the resort, and into the town. She stood in the town square and was surrounded by quail. She didn't know where she was. She didn't know why there were so many quail. She didn't know why they were perched like pigeons shitting all over the town square. She stood beneath them, staring upward. And a memory occurred to her. In the fourth grade, she knocked over a thing of whiteout, and it stained her desk for the rest of the year. It seemed that life had a way of repeating itself. It seemed that to her life was merely a hellish vortex, and that her only purpose was to suffer. What can I say? It's the town square quail. Alright, so... Three, two, one, zero. Now, I don't think I... I know I didn't realize at on the day... that that this was in fact the 700th post so i've been anticipating the 700 for a while it means fucking nothing but it's you know sometimes just fun or maybe helpful to just have a goal in your mind of oh i'm gonna hit x amount of pages oh i'm gonna hit you know x amount of words and it's just an arbitrary you know carrot on a stick And 700 has been on my mind for a long time. And here's what ended up being the 700th post. All that kind of banal anticipation amounting to this. And and as I read this, and I'll read it twice as I most often do. Um, sometimes. Well, I think it's good to read it twice. I just get it more the second time and sometimes the third and sometimes more uh, as as everyone knows the it has a different effect 
the more you go over it uh, and you learn how to kind of articulate it, I think a bit better. Anyway, as you listen to this one, just know that this was a big milestone for weeks, perhaps probably months, this number, thinking that once I got to 700, I didn't have any anticipation that I knew nothing would, of course, happen, but it was just in my mind, building and building and building as this kind of, you know, little little road sign. And this is what came out. A can of alfagetti was poured into a saxophone. And then the saxophone player. <laughs> okay, okay, we can do it. A can of alfagetti was poured into a saxophone. And then the saxophone player farted into the saxophone and sent the alfagetti flying. <laughs> it was the best gig they ever got. And that good for nothing saxophone player blew it. That was their shot at the big league. When asked why he did it, the saxophone player said that it was the call of the void. He tried to explain what the hell he meant by that, but no one knew what he was talking about. So he was fired from the band. They've been trying to get their reputation back, but the truth is they aren't that good without the saxophone player. They know now that they shouldn't have fired him for doing that. They just, they should have just went with it, but they made their choice and what's done was done. And there it is. Post 700 Alpha Getty. And you'd think after doing something 700 times, 700 times, you'd try to imagine yourself doing anything 700 hundred times you would think you would get um you know better at it or you'd come to some kind of greater uh you know maturity or or some deeper some ability to latch on to some deeper insights you know really anything anything but this but but it's great and you know you can't escape who you are i suppose and the idea of a guy fucking farting into a saxophone and blasting alfagetti onto the audience is who i am and what i think is funny and it seems what I always will think is funny. <laughs> if someone did that, if you can imagine being in a room and someone literally did that, <laughs> and you didn't laugh, or if you didn't think that was funny, I mean, then what is? Then what possibly is? 
the um, it's not lost on me. I think this idea of word vomit. You know why the alphabetti noodles? Um, I don't think I was in the grocery store on Wednesday. That it kind of seeped into my, you know, conscious or whatever in the the near future, you know, the near past, I should say. Why the alphagetti? And maybe there's something about the nature of all of this. Um, this is just kind of how it feels. And, and, you know, blasting out all this random fucking shit. <laughs> onto people and then getting fired and being rejected for for it and not understanding why why you would do that you know this whole call of the void thing whatever you know it's this idea of uh if, you know and i'm probably mistaken or remembering all of this wrong but when you're standing on the side of um a cliff or you're standing on a balcony on the 30th floor of a building and you have the urge to jump not no you're not going to do it and it's not because you're suicidal it's not a negative thing you just literally have the thought to jump this is what what happens you know if you see um like a, a fucking bandsaw in the shop in your shop class and you just have the thought of what it would be like to put your hand in in the saw the fork in the electric outlet you name it it's just an impulse I think when you're driving you have these kind of like um, you know what if I just like gunned it and like just crashed through whatever the call of the void right and in this case this was the uh the saxophone player lost control and this is <laughs> this was his version of it and uh and they regret it the band regrets it too and there's the uh you know, okay, we're looking for the deeper wisdom. Well, maybe he was right. And there's my probably self-fulfilling, uh, or not self-fulfilling prophecy, but my kind of uh, self-indulgent kind of whatever encouragement going on and on about this this stuff. So we got the frog will return. We got Town Square Quail, very much the, the life and death story, you know, this young couple and their lives and the, the tragedy. We got the Alphagetti, three great posts for sure. Yeah, if those were the only, let's imagine this, if those were the only three posts that I ever published 
They don't feel like the best posts I've ever written by a long shot. Truthfully, they don't. I don't read them and I'm like, I want to keep that. I got to keep that one for, for the ages. And I don't know which ones I really do. But I, if I went through all of these posts, I don't think those would be the ones I might really select. But on the other hand, if I did, and those were the only ones that, were ever, that I ever showed that someone ever read of my, my writing, it kind of says it all. I think you, you either would be in or you'd be out. You'd either like my point of view, or you wouldn't. And uh, and I, I don't think I'm bullshitting with those. As, as kind of absurd and, and ridiculous as they are, I don't know if I look at those and say that they're untrue as to who I am, what I think is funny, and how I see the world. The Frog Will Return, Town Square, Quail, and Alphagetti. Now, there's a slug theme for the next three posts. It starts off with one called Slug Elves, Ziploc Slime. Let's see, let's see what it's all about. Slug Elves are the messiah of all time. The salad has come and gone. It's green slime in a freaking Ziploc. Not to mention the emoticon was shot point blank for no reason. The emoticon lived many lives before. One of them was something that no emoticon could describe. And now, after dying as an emoticon, there was nothing. It was a permanent death. Where all the slug elf messiahs, where are the slug elf messiahs now? The reincarnation is no longer that <laughs> now now the condensed milk was the only thing on earth ever they are only slug elves condensed there are only slug elves condensed milk ziplocs of green slime and indiscernible emoticons even i am dead at this point when the slug elf messiahs arrived there isn't much else to really understand, one way or another. It's just the way it went. The slug elves are completely monotone, and they will procreate. Hopefully not with the emoticons. Hopefully they will know what to do with the condensed milk and the Ziploc slime. I suppose we have to have faith that they will reincarnate the earth, or else what kind of messiahs would they be, really? What kind of messiahs would they be? Let's read that again. Let's figure this one out. Slug elves. Okay, so let's establish. We got slug elves. Elves are these little magical kind of things, right? These ones are slug elves. Okay, slug elves. Slug elves are the messiah of all time. Okay, there's your premise. Let's start with that. I got a sneeze coming. And... And there it was. 
I gotta stay hydrated from all of these. If I'm gonna survive the day eating, eating the way I've been eating. Gotta drink that water. I was drinking, I got this giant bottle of water. Let's see how many, it's 1.2 liters. For a while I was drinking two of them a day. Two, 2.4 liters, so say two and a half liters every day. That's a lot. So I was like, okay, let's cut it down a bit. 1.2 plus, you know, a few other things here and there. But I don't think it's quite enough is what I'm realizing. I think I got to up it. I got to go back to the 2.4. I was feeling better. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work though to uh, get all that water down. But anyway, drinking water is not overrated. Truly, I think I was feeling better. Slug elves are the messiah of all time. The salad has come and gone. It's green slime in a freaking Ziploc. Which is... So we got our slug elves, and then there's a old, molded, kind of rotten salad in a Ziploc bag. Not to mention, the emoticon who was shot point-blank for no reason, okay? The emoticon lived many lives before. One of them was something that no emoticon could describe. And now, this, the emoticon lived many lives before. One of them, one of the, the past lives was one that could not be described by any emoticon, okay? And now, after dying as an emoticon, there was nothing. It was a permanent death. So the reincarnation cycle has stopped for this, this emoticon. Where are the slug elf messiahs now? The reincarnation is no longer that being reincarnation. So, so far, I think... I think what's working about this is that often when I read a post of this nature that's this abstract, I'm able to wrangle it for the most part. But this one I think is beyond my scope in a way that I'm, I think is impressive. It truly is um, escaping all of my attempts here. Now the condensed milk is the only thing on earth ever. That I think the addition of the condensed milk sends it into the realm of of just you know that's just too much. <laughs> That's just, you gotta be kidding. But still, let's try to sum it up. They're only slug elves, condensed milk, ziplocks of green slime, and indiscernible emoticons. Oh, okay. It's, it's, uh, it's just that, is it? It's just those four things. Even I am dead at this point. 
when the slug elf messiah has arrived. So the narrator is dead. The narrator doesn't exist. There isn't, which is fine. There isn't much else to really understand one way or another. It's just the way it went. These are the facts. The slug elves are completely monotone, but they will procreate. So why are this, the slug elves the messiah as well? Probably because they're going to repopulate the earth. Hopefully not with the emoticons. Hopefully they will know what to do with the condensed milk and the Ziploc slime. Mm -hmm. I suppose we have to have faith that they will reincarnate the earth or else what kind of messiahs would they be? Really, what kind of messiahs would they be? Good. The And then at the end, I think starting without doing this podcast i don't think i would have included in a, lo- a line like that at the bottom that's just meant for emphasis in the vernacular um but i feel like that was that worked as i read it okay now let's read the next post called the slug messiah the slug messiah was going along the road and saw a massive dead worm. The slug messiah did not know what to do. He had no idea how to bring a dead worm back to life. I am a failed messiah, the slug said. I am a piece of shit messiah. I couldn't even save this worm. The slug messiah felt depressed for a long time after that. Almost six days went by before he felt like he could face the world. He went to the supermarket and bought a cream soda and drank it on the sidewalk. Too bad about that worm. Sorry. Too bad about that worm, God said. The slug messiah nodded. I hope you enjoy the soda, God said. The slug messiah nodded again. Take it easy, God said, and the slug messiah nodded. Hey, wait, the slug messiah said to God. What? God asked him. I quit, the slug messiah said. All right, but you owe me for for the snow tires, God said. Fuck those snow tires, the slug said, and God laughed at the slug so the legend continues the slug messiah trying to do the right thing trying to do his job but he sees this worm's already dead and he doesn't know how to reincarnate it doesn't know how to fix it and so he felt upset I remember writing this post and having a feeling of depression. Let me rephrase that. And feeling sad while I was writing. And I think it was some kind of... Everything felt kind kind of useless, I guess. Kind of like empty. And I could tell, I was like, I think this isn't really... This is like a nature, not a nurture type situation where I was like, I don't think the things in my life are inspiring 
this feeling it's it felt like more of like a kind of a chemical uh just like sadness is hanging out right now um you know two two ways of looking at it right but i don't think anything necessarily uh caused it that i was at all aware of um so that's kind of that's actually what i was writing about here um you know this little fucking slug not knowing what to do with this worm almost six days went by before he felt like he could face the world he went to the supermarket and bought a cream soda and drank it on the sidewalk so it's a similar theme to earlier F- food and <laughs> treats and drinks um often the uh the great the great thing in life the great equalizer too bad about that worm so here's our buddy god trying to console the worm it's funny and it almost feels uh writing god as a character giving god lines is always going to feel um wrong and in the way that my semi-religious upbringing would not um, suggest that is something you can do or maybe would say that's something you should never do (laughs) Um, and that definitely is still in my um, I'll never shake it I'll never you know I'll always remember that I'm not supposed to do that (laughs) but but also sometimes you gotta do it and I don't really think it's an issue I think that it's regardless if you believe in if you respect the that tradition or not it's so clear that this is such a farce that why from any perspective would it matter um that uh that you do that you'd write lines for this god character in this absurd world that's being written about and so that's part a part b of the train of thought is by writing sometimes i I think by writing lines for quote god quote it implies that um that i believe in in you know god is a higher power in some kind of in some way or another based on whatever i'm kind of writing right you know in we were always taught not you can't write g o d you had to write g dash d and i think you need to write capital g dash d 
and uh that's super like we've been on this post it says lowercase g o d like that was like uh that was like to be punished <laughs> growing up it was not allowed like you'd write if you wrote that on your homework like i don't remember what the consequence was except just like <laughs> anger like just you know very angry hebrew school teacher um like you didn't understand the extent of the punishment like that was the whole point of well it absolutely wasn't but to some of us myself included the whole point was to figure out what the ex- what you could get away with what was the extent of the punishment it's like well you say i can't do this but what if i did it how what do, what's going to happen that was most of my childhood trying to understand you know all of that shit until i don't know at what point in my life i kind of stopped caring or maybe i enough uh i'd understood the extent of of punishment in a way that i was satisfied by so i stopped looking you know saw just enough negative shit happen that i was like okay i'm good i don't need to know and all that what if kind of weird energy i think probably went into what if i write the most fucking dumb thing ever and try to stand by it and get people to read it uh but there are other there were other students who didn't need to know um you know what would happen if they put the fork into the electrical socket what would happen if they you know did the thing they were told they weren't supposed to do if they listened and uh, I'm sure those people did did okay Um, I'm sure things I'm sure it ended up alright in uh, in a lot of ways anyway good kids out there all this to say this God stuff. I think I'll forever be agnostic. Meaning I can't fully buy into it and I can't fully let it go. Um, I think that agnosticism is where I think that's my true, whether I like it or not, I think that that's my, um, I think that's my belief system. I think I'm a I'm a true agnostic. I would like to either decide one way or another, but truthfully if I, I've tried wearing both hats over the over the years of my life, I can't fully let it go and it's it's just programmed into me. It's like uh it's beyond logic. So go fuck yourself. Too bad about that worm, God said. The Messiah nodded. I hope you enjoy the soda, God said. The Messiah nodded again. Take it easy, God said. And the Messiah nodded. Hey, wait, the slug Messiah said to God. What? God asked him. I quit, the slug Messiah said. <laughs> All right, but you owe me for the snow tires, 
God said. Fuck those snow tires, Slug said. And God laughed at the slug. Wonderful, wonderful post. And our final post of the week. You know, this whole today's episode, episode 14, I feel uh, I'm trying to go slow, but I think since I hit the record button a mere 53 minutes ago, I've been rushing to get to the Blue Nile um, writing. But um, we'll get there soon enough. Because I'm excited about it. And it's fucked up. It's definitely fucked up. And I want to read it. And I want to see what guilt or shame or excitement or maybe uh, pride I feel while reading it and after and then I want to adjust accordingly tomorrow anyway let's read the slug messiah 2 the slug messiah 2 this is the sequel the silkworm was sad and it was unable to articulate why its eyes were droopy and it felt like it had little connection to the others. It was not a suicidal moment for the silkworm, or even one that it felt like it would benefit from crying. It was just sad, maybe for the hell of it. The silkworm went to McDonald's and bought a medium coffee for one dollar. It stood in the park and saw the slug messiah hopelessly staring at the dead worm. The silkworm felt a bit better when he saw how hopeless and depressed the slug messiah looked. And that is why God laughed when the slug messiah quit outside of the supermarket yesterday. And it is why God never ended up making the slug pay for the snow tires in the end. Damn, that's good. I actually really like that post as a way of landing the previous one. I don't think I'm going to break it down too much farther. Actually, I am. Because the whole beginning... Remember all that shit I was just saying about, oh, I just... You know, I go on these tangents after reading these these posts. And then I just say it. I just, well, I already wrote it, you know, X amount of days ago. And then I forgot. And then I come back and read it. And it's just like the, the mind and our thoughts seem to always be moving forward. But at a certain pace, the thoughts that I had in my mind three days ago were similar to the ones I'm having today. And it moves forward slowly, but surely. And it's hard to notice it. And I think one thing that doing this whole thing keeps showing me is just kind of how smart but dumb we are. In that 
we're clearly going towards something or trying to build put information on top of more information and build on it but we're also so unaware of the process that's kind of taking place in the background it's hard to track it and to know where you're what you're learning especially when you're writing such abstract things because what's the fucking point of these anyway I don't I'm more uh, it's a great thing so here's this whole thing I was saying about this uh, feeling sad for no reason okay earlier that earlier today I was talking about in the beginning in the intro I said I was talking about fast food restaurants. I'm getting coffees for a dollar at A&W. And then I said they have McDonald's too. And now I'm reading this post back. It says the Silkworm went to McDonald's and bought a medium coffee for one dollar. <laughs> it's just in my mind. These ads, this the world is just, uh, I'm living in it, clearly. I sat in the park and saw the Silkworm side staring at the dead worm. The silkworm felt a bit better when he saw how hopeless and depressed the slug messiah looked. This was a good uh, layer to the story. I think that I like that. And that is why God laughed when the slug messiah quit outside the supermarket yesterday. And that is why God never ended up making the slug messiah, the slug pay for the snow tires in the end. What a merciful God he was after all. You know, and this is what I mean. It's like, okay, it's like, you can't really see, when you examine your thoughts on your faith, even if you feel like you basically have none, if you really start to zoom in on it, it's, I think, interesting to see how It's how you start, how it starts to kind of form itself. Your belief system, it's like a human need. And I think that however it was built up at a super young age, it's it just stays, it sticks with you. And so for me to, even in these ways, be writing about this God who happens to be kind of uh, harsh but merciful, like that's that's what I learned when I was a kid when I was really young starting at I think age three four or five kind of that's when we started kind of learning Bible stories from the Old Testament and it and I see this with you know I teach um, students from all over the world and what I start to notice is people that seem to have different religious backgrounds and they, when they write fiction, they write made-up stories. How I feel like you can see it kind of creeping in, even when when they're writing stuff that's completely non-religious. They write fantasy stories or science fiction or action or whatever it is. But you know, I I can't deny that I feel like I see patterns, even beyond. Um, certain nationalities seem to have this different there's different folklore different stories that 
that seem to be inherent with a, with certain religions and certain nationalities and certain backgrounds that's in in us wherever we we come from and i mean it's it's really it's a fascinating thing so it's, it's truly uh i would love to have a great understanding of that it's very minimal obviously and those who grew up with zero religious um background it's still it's still prevalent as to there has to be something some kind of morals that they kind of revert back to whether you know stories from their family stories from um whatever they were they read as kids etc etc it's hard to escape your your programming i think i think it's it's a it's not to be underestimated those are the posts from november 20th to november 25th 2022 and now at long last i shall read what are now the first 3,000 words of the story, The Blue Nile. Okay. The Blue Nile. Igor stared at the pizza sign or in the direction of it, his thoughts wandered towards a misery that had become so persistent that he considered it to be more ordinary than anything. It corroded his stomach and made his veins feel like they were jagged. He thought maybe it was his body's way of telling him to stop fucking around and go fulfill his purpose. Go make money, and then it will be easy to get laid. He felt assured for the most part that it was a hopeless and pathetic endeavor. He felt assured that he was destined for failure and that every moment he avoided abject poverty was nothing more than sheer luck. His thoughts continued in this heated spiral like a glowing oven coil tapeworm that traveled through his intestines. He did not know how to calm himself from it, so he sat there in the middle of the night staring out of his apartment window at the pizza sign across the street. Near three in the morning, the streets were dead mostly. He stood on the sidewalk near the gas station towards the bank. Eventually, a guy showed up that he knew from before. His name was Hubert. He had a comb over that pointed upwards like it was static charged. He chugged a large bottle of foamy Diet Cola and his gut hung from his undershirt. He wasn't wearing pants or underwear and his socks were stained and torn. The last time they spoke, Hubert told Igor that he was a dickless fudge packer. He told Igor that even his best erection was too flaccid to hold a CD. He told Igor that he didn't even know which dog cunt was his head and that his face was a rat's dog cunt. He asked Igor if he even had ass hair, let alone a single piece of shit in his ass. 
Igor loved Hubert. Sometimes, at random, he would remember what Hubert said and he would laugh with relief. That laughter brought him peace. It made him forget who he was and he was grateful for that. Igor stood near Hubert and waited for him to say something. After some time, Igor noticed that Hubert had grown in erection. Igor felt nauseated by it, but in some call of the void, he had the idea to snap Hubert's erection off of him like it was a carrot or an icicle and toss it into a wood chipper. Hubert explained to Igor that he had once tried to kill himself. Hubert had come to the conclusion that he was unemployable and that no woman would ever love him. So he went into his neighbor's apartment and ate a bottle of her painkillers. He said it was an unrequited an unremarkable, unoriginal idea, and it proved to lead to nothing more than an average nap. When he woke up, he sold all of his things and got on a train home to, to visit his mother in a, in a small Quebec town. On the train ride, he sat across from a woman that he was immediately captivated by. He said that when he looked at her, he felt like he was home for the first time. They spoke at length on the train ride. He said that it was the shortest four hours of his entire life. He said that a calmness came over him like he was standing in the ocean and was surrounded by the relief and warmth of a long piss. And before long, they were married. As an acknowledgement of his suffering, as an offer of reconciliation, the universe had awarded him with a wife that he loved dearly. It showed him that trying to kill himself was the right thing to do, because it led him to her. He said that he realized that his greatest attribute was that he was a failure. If he had succeeded in killing himself, he would be dead, but trying and failing and letting go of everything was the best thing that ever happened to him. Hubert said that even when he found out she was a prostitute and that she rode that train daily for almost two years, sleeping with all kinds of random men, he didn't care. They remained happily married. Igor stood silently as a wave of goosebumps passed over him. A cop car approached slowly and parked near them. One of the cops got out and grabbed Hubert by the hair. He tossed Hubert at the car window. The sound of his forehead hitting the glass was more dull than Igor would have expected. They tossed Hubert into the back of the car and drove off towards wherever they were taking him. At the gas station, Igor stared at the taquitos and the hot dogs. He looked at the slurping machine and the soda machine. He bought a bag of chips and ate them outside near the propane tanks. He had been at his mother's apartment earlier. As usual, she complained about the pigeons that crowded around her windowsill. She said that they were filthy and carried diseases, but still she left breadcrumbs for them. Igor asked her if she wanted to get steel spikes like the neighbors had, but she told him not to waste his time. It was hopeless. There was no getting rid of them. She served him fish and cabbage soup. While he ate, she told him how worried she was about his sister. She was moving away to a small town a few hours north of the city to follow her professor, a sessional, who she thought she was in love with. But, as his mother said, she was delusional and there was nothing she could do to talk her out of it. His mother explained how little money they had. It made no difference whether Igor 
brought her $50 or $2,000. There was no easing her worry. Still, she would then tell him that she had faith that things would work out in the end, even though she was destined for poverty and misery and a lonesome death. There was a rodent in her mind that ceaselessly chirped at her. What if, Igor, it rains and you contract a horrid disease? What if, Igor, this man steals your sister's money and beats her every night? What if, Igor, you become hungry and have no food left in your fridge? What if, Igor, what if? But rest assured, my son, everything will be okay. Just keep working at the computer shop. Keep your job. She was proud of Igor for, folding, for holding his job for as long as he had. But the truth was, he was not employed at a computer shop or anywhere. He rubbed his fingers together and felt how powdered, how the powdered cheese from the chips turned to gunk. A meter maid parked at one of the gas pumps. He thought she was ugly and wondered how she could handle working such a shit job. He thought that given the opportunity, she would probably want to sleep with him. But as she passed him and walked into the gas station, she looked at him so flippantly that his mind changed. A deep insecurity overcame him, like a wash of cold tar that dragged his eyelids downward like a drooping basset hound. Maybe she was nervous, because she liked him, or maybe she knew the truth, that he was merely a shit stain who only half an hour ago had the thought of grabbing Hubert's erection. I'm not gay, Igor thought. This meter maid is a misanthrope who never lost her virginity. He decided that when she came back out of the gas station, he would talk to her. But when she did, he saw that no matter how obese or lonely she might have been, she was entirely indifferent to him. It was true that he was a shit stain at best. Hubert was right. He didn't even know which dog cunt was his head, and his face was a rat's dog cunt. On the way back to his apartment, he became hungry again. He thought of going back to the gas station, but became distracted by a prostitute that stood beneath the pizza sign. She wore ripped jeans, a ratty tank top, and a dirty pink and yellow ski jacket. Her hair was blonde and frizzy and messy. Her face was small and her mouth hung open at an odd angle. Her posture was contorted somewhat. He imagined how well she would get along with his mother when he took her to her apartment for supper. He imagined them together, suntanning on the deck of a cruise ship. He imagined himself coming home from work, and before he could even put down his briefcase, their children would run to him, gleaming with excitement. He imagined how the fentanyl-blooded zombie that stood beneath the pizza sign would then put supper onto the table, but for now, like the meter maid, she did not notice him at all. He sat on his bed and watched a video on his laptop. A woman filmed the highlights of her day, what she ate, where she exercised, and what her skincare routine was. He watched another video that compared which low-cost external monitor was best. He looked out his window and saw that she was still there beneath the pizza sign. He compared the quality of the picture he saw out his window to the quality of his laptop screen. He was unsure how to discern the difference. He wondered how much it would cost to have the prostitute over to his apartment. He knew it was probably more than the $40 he had. He wrote a message to a guy he went to high school with, Alex. He usually had a job 
that Igor could do. Igor became bored of waiting for a response and watched another video of how to win at online blackjack. And then finally, after masturbating while watching multiple videos of random people having sex, he dripped it off and fell asleep. Chapter 2 The phone woke him. It was Alex. Yo, man. Yo, what up? You good? Yeah, you? You around? Yeah, man. All right. The prostitute no longer stood beneath the pizza sign. Igor went back to the gas station and bought a cup of coffee. He drank it near the propane tanks and watched a man fill his car. He tried to imagine a version of himself that could function like that man, but his thoughts became foggy and a feeling of guilt crept up on him. Even this fucking guy, despite his mundane existence, had the ability to exhibit some apparent dignity. Igor, on the other hand, was completely inept. His attempt to be a person was pathetic. It seemed that the only way to fight the inadequacy was to justify with an endless barrage of self-loathing. That self-loathing seemed to level him off momentarily until a random guilt began to flow through him. He tried to drown it by chugging the coffee, but it only seemed to fuel it. He saw the meter maid chalking tires across the street. While he had been asleep in his own filth, she was prowling the sidewalks and making people miserable. He could see the hatred that gleamed off the people that passed her. Somehow it gave him hope that perhaps even a piece of shit like him could find a place in the world. He remembered the shame he felt for her the night before, but things had changed in the light of day. He was impressed by the severe corrosive air that she flaunted. That job must pay decently, he thought. Maybe I could do it. Getting a job like that would be worse than suicide. Hubert would be proud. He followed the meter maid and watched how she worked. He felt the conviction she showed as she wrote a ticket and put it beneath the windshield wipers of some expensive car. I would be fucking pissed if some bitch touched my windshield wipers, Igor thought. But the meter maid didn't give a shit. She was a, she's a professional. He decided he would talk to her. He walked faster to catch her before she got into her car. She sensed him coming and turned around. When their eyes met, he saw clearly that she did not give the slightest fuck about him. There was a deadness in her eyes that made him feel like a pathetic child. He waved at her and tried to say hello, but the word tangled in his mouth. She, she shook her head in disgust, got into her car, and then drove off. He felt like scum more so now than before. It seemed that every homeless person, no matter how drug-addicted or mentally ill, was better off than he was. It was clear that they had something that he didn't. They had a purpose. They knew who they were, unlike him, who wandered aimlessly, pathetic, pathetically meandering, thinking there was a solution to his ex sorry excuse for a life. He walked through the shopping mall. No matter how stupid everyone looked to him and no matter how dumb he felt sorting through the endless pile of fabrics and plastics, somehow, no matter how dumb he felt, sorting through the endless pile of fabrics and plastics somehow fell, somehow put distance between himself and his own despair. It made him feel calm. He 
He went into a discount computer store and looked at the monitors. He tried to find the one that the video he watched said was best. He asked the cashier if they had it. The cashier told him that they didn't and they likely never would. Igor asked if they were hiring. The guy said that he didn't think so. Igor asked what the rate was and the guy said it was minimum wage. Igor went to the food court and ordered a box of Chinese food. He tried to finish all of it so he wouldn't have to carry the leftovers home, but he changed his mind deciding that there was enough left to warrant a second meal later. He went into an outerwear store and looked at a row of new winter jackets. One in particular stood out to him for some reason or another. It was yellow and had an odd shape to it. The shopkeeper approached him. She was attractive and likely not much older than he was. She saw how he admired the yellow jacket and went on to explain that it was made of Gore-Tex and it was crammed full of goose feathers. He didn't respond. She smiled and said something else, but he didn't register it. When she walked away, he tried on the jacket. He looked in the mirror, and it seemed that somehow the jacket made him feel confident. He was overcome with a feeling that reminded him of his childhood. He zipped up the jacket and felt how it was perfectly snug. He looked at the price tag. It was worth $1,100. He took it off and put it back. He immediately felt a deep loss. He looked at the shopkeeper again. She was breaking down cardboard boxes and laughing about something with one of her co-workers. He looked at some of the other clothes in the store. They all looked useless and shitty to him. He came back to the jacket. A couple walked into the store. The shopkeeper approached them and listened to whatever they said. She told them to follow her, and as she led them to the other end of the shop, Igor, careful not to drop his Chinese food leftovers, put the jacket back on, zipped it up, and swiftly booked it out of there. The alarm sounded behind him, but he didn't look back. He walked straight through the mall, crossed the street, and disappeared into the subway. He kept glimpsing at himself in the reflection of the shop window where Alex was going to meet him. He wasn't hungry, but he didn't want to waste his leftovers. As he ate them, he looked at an incense stick that was stabbed into an orange and a bowl of rice on the ground. He couldn't figure out how to break the security tag off of the jacket, so he hit it against the newspaper box until a glob of purple ink flopped out and stained the fabric. He wiped off what he, what he could by the time Alex got there. That jacket is sick, man. Yeah, eh? Yeah, man, it's fucking sick. Where'd you get it? Some store, man. Fucking A. I gotta get a new jacket like that, bro. My fucking jacket sucks. I just got it. It looks f it looks sick on you, fucking A, man. But, bro, let me tell you about this job. Alright. Take this in, alright? Alright. You remember Elwood? No. Dude, you know Elwood. Elwood. Yeah, man, fucking Elwood. You know that guy from middle school? Oh shit, you mean that fucking guy, Dill? Yeah, man, Elwood. Yeah, man. Fucking, he hooked me up with this fucking guy who works at the, sh at the shipping yard, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we get there, and then this guy will let us in, and then he'll open a shipping container, alright? Okay. And then there'll be a truck. And he'll get into the truck, and then drop it off. 
40 minutes away at an auto shop. It's called Max Auto Fix and Wash. All right? And then they'll hand you cash and that's it. Damn. Yeah, man. How much do they give us? 500 bucks cash. Can you do six? No, man. It's five. Good try, fucker. All right. Yeah, it's sick, man. You good with it? Yeah. Sick. Okay. We can head there now. Okay. And man, probably isn't just a one-time thing. If it goes good, maybe we do it again. So don't fuck it up. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah, man. Sick. Let's fucking go then. All right. Fucking A, man. Yo, I gotta tell you about some shit. All right. You know Crocodile Rock? Like the club? Man, fucking Crocodile Rock is sick. You go there? Not really, man. Bro, you think you're too good for every fucking club? No, man. Bro, get fucking ready. You'll see. Sometimes at the end of the night, all the guys from the shop go. You'll see, man. These guys are dope. If they're going, we have to go. So get fucking ready. Okay. Yo, there's so many chicks there. It's fucking sick. And bro, let me tell you something. Alright. This one chick I met there last time, I banged her. She was literal trash, dog. Nice. Seriously, bro. Fucking man, she was down for anything. I was like, fuck. I was so wasted. I don't even remember what happened. Really? Yeah, man. But like, bro, my dick smelled like fucking ass for days. And it got me thinking. Like, bro, what if there was like some shit in her ass, bro? And it got in my dick. Oh, damn. Yeah, for real. I was thinking of getting an STD test just so the doctor could swab out my dick hole and clean it out, man. You know what I mean? Like, I tried with my own Q-tip, but fuck, man, I can't get it up there like they can. I tried, man, but I just can't fucking handle it. For sure. But bro, like, fuck, man, seriously, I just keep thinking about her. Like, I want to call her again. She was hot as fuck, but, like, large. So I'm like, I don't know. Like, what if I'm a fag who likes fat chicks, you know what I mean? All good, man. Fucking A. For sure. Fuck. But bro, yeah. Yo, what's with the purple jizz on your coat, man? Nothing, man. Just some shit. Yo, did you fucking jack that shit, man? No, man. Fucking A. You're hilarious, bro. Like, fuck. You jacked that? You're a boss, bro. Fucking A, man. And that's the end of chapter two. The Blue Nile, first 12 pages, as they currently stand. Next week, I'll move on, I'll work through chapters three and four. I'll do the same as what I did, and I'll read those, continue off, and, um, I'll try to get through this draft without going back and making huge substantial changes. But if I do, I'll just, uh, I don't know. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. You never know. I hope you like the story. I hope you like the posts. Uh, thank you for tuning in to episode 14 of the Earwig Review. 
And one last shout out to my great friends on chess.com. Currently, games against DY underscore M, Chesterfield, Alberta, Crazy Flax, Bjorn Slippy, and Big Matt LaDante. Games are going strong. Thank you, everyone, for all the all the great times. Um, find me on chess.com. My username is turtlecube3029. And um, until next time, thank you.